just got done uh, shipping two intro to toys boxes from marriage supply and i have to admit i'm a little jealous of those couples getting those boxes because there's fun on the way sometimes you just need a little kick in the pants to get your sex life moving and that's what marriage supply does for you it's you know i mean you're so busy you got the kids you got the jobs you got your parents everybody's on your ass that you don't have time to get on each other's ass in a good way and that's what Marriage Supply does for you. Uh, go to MarriageSupply.com. We got a lot of great products there. Uh, it lines up exactly with who Bad Christian is. Uh, we want all the fun in a way that you can enjoy. So, yeah, go to MarriageSupply.com. Now, uh, today's episode is kind of special. It's just me. <laughs> Matt's not here. God knows where he's at. I don't know. He's, uh, he's on the left coast. You know, who knows what he's doing? He's uh, in there, Seattle. I can't hardly understand people in Seattle. I'm Midwest and I'm Southern, okay? I love those people. I'm glad they're thousands of miles away from me. But today's episode is so damn good, I promise you. And it's not because of me. It's not my interviewing skills. We're going to be talking about Stoicism and philosophy. I immediately uh, got the definition of Stoicism wrong. (laughs) You'll hear that in a few minutes. Uh, But Jules Evans is just awesome. Gosh, it was just so fun to talk to him. I've been a fan now. Just recently, uh, I've been uh, found out his, his website, uh, philosophyforlife.org. And um, I think I said that right. I can probably double check while I'm sitting here looking at you, uh, looking at this screen, right? Let me make sure I got all this right. Philosophy for Life. Uh, .org. And his book is called Philosophy for Life and Other Dangerous Situations. We'll talk about that in a little while. But he is just so good. We talk about stoicism. We talk about uh, like some of our life-altering uh, experiences. He had a, you know, a near-death experience. Uh, we talk about ayahuasca and drug use, LSD. We talk about how he tried to be a Christian for a while. He really is, I say this in the interview, he's a, a researcher. It's not just an adventurer or a life hacker. He's somebody that cares about figuring out what is true, what is real. Why not try this? Maybe it is a little scarier, dangerous, but I need to know because that's the pursuit that he is on. And so it is really fun. I mean, this interview is really fun. Uh, I'm sorry, my uh, audio is a little wonky. It sounds a little bit like I'm in a tube, but I think it's okay. So uh, yeah, get ready. This is going to be good. I really enjoyed the part where we start talking about ecstatic experiences. Um, Cause I felt like I've had some of those in my life, like uh, speaking in tongues. We talk about that. He talks about his uh, near death experience. So this is going to be really good. So I just am excited for you guys to listen to this. Um, if you don't know uh, the question live digital event is happening August 2nd, go see it. You won't believe it. The, the question is arguably our biggest record ever and did get to do honor 
uh, to that record after all these years and just play it like the best we've ever played it with the best cameras, the best sound. Uh, it just makes the record come to life again for you. And so I'm excited for all you to listen to that. Um, I wish I knew the website. <laughs> Let's see. I'm in the band Emory. I know there's emorymusic.com. Uh, maybe uh, I'll tell Matt to edit right here. You might hear Matt come in and say, this website, and then back, back out. But, uh, yeah, at least you can go to emorymusic.com, I believe, and check it out. Toby, you know I'm busy working on editing the damn show. You can't make one episode. You can't get to the intro of one episode without needing me. The link is momenthouse.com forward slash Emory. <laughs> Uh, that's August 2nd. <laughs> what the fuck, Toby? I can't believe I'm needed yet once again. But uh, I got to let you know, the question is on August the 12th. It is not on August 2nd. August the 12th. Okay. Um, you can join Emeryland. Emeryland is a great spot for uh, all things Emory. And uh, we're kind of combining some stuff with the Bad Christian Club as well. So stay tuned for all of that. Okay. I'm ready to get to this. If you guys are, let me pay some bills here with this beautiful song. All right, you're listening to We Never Die, the newest single from uh, Paradise Now's newest album. is also called We Never Die. Their full album comes out this Friday, July 30th. Pre-orders are still available at Tooth & Nail merch store, so go ahead and go get some of those because pre-orders are fun to get. Give yourself something to look forward to. Uh, look for them on tour this coming in the coming months uh, as COVID restrictions open up uh, in their home country of Wales. I've been to Wales and it is dope. Uh, in the meantime, check out We Never Die out uh, in full on July 30th. All right, so I've been looking forward to this interview for a while. We have Jules Evans. Uh, he's the author of Philosophy for Life and Other Dangerous Situations, um, which is also a Times Book of the Year. Uh, Times Book of the Year, and uh, you're the author of The Art of Losing Control. Jules, I'm really excited for you to be here. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it as well, Toby. It, it's funny how uh, we find guests sometimes for this podcast because I was just – so we had a Determinist on recently and I was like so I've just been looking at different you know philosophies and ways because I grew up very evangelical very small church in the south in the 80s uh when I was a kid and uh, so I've been just learning more and more and I was like oh, what is a stoicism thing what in the world is that I don't even know what it really means so I started looking up and that that led me to an article with you in it where there was a little blurb about you I was like let me check out this Jules Evans guy and then that led me to your TED talk and then that led, led me to the website philosophyforlife.org and so now I'm just kind of fascinated some of the stuff you've written just blew my mind <laughs> 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 and so I'd like to just start I guess probably along the lines of just with philosophy for life uh, your book I love the title by the way and other dangerous situations because I think a lot of times uh, people don't think about philosophy or their brains is a dangerous situation as much as maybe they should. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, in a, in a, a, a brief version of it, um, I, when I was a teenager, uh, I, and my friends did a fair amount of drugs, uh, you know, like, um, psychedelic drugs, dance drugs, like MDMA, LSD, magic mushrooms. Um, because we were just seeking transcendence, but in a very unstructured and unguided way. Right. Um, so I was into that. Like I, you know, I was at quite a Christian school. We had to go to church every day, but I was in charge of 
what was called alternative assembly, which was for the kids who didn't want to go to school. So I, I kind of, really, you would, you wouldn't have been a Christian either if you had, uh, you know, my my theology teachers. <laughs> so, so, so we were exploring, we were looking for God, you know, in our, in our own ways by getting out of our heads, and and we got in, you know, a few of my friends, including me, got into difficulties after a few years because we were really blasting our brains with a lot of drugs when we were like 16, 17, when you haven't really emotionally matured yet. Um, so by the time I was at university, I, I developed um, things like the symptoms of post-traumatic stress, uh, social anxiety, dissociation, that kind of stuff. Was it just you and, and your friends as well? Or did all of you? My friends were, had, were in worse situations. I had a friend, my best friend developed schizophrenia, Another friend died of an overdose. Friends went to, you know, prison and stuff. Wow. So it was quite messy. Um, and so for about five, six years, uh, my mental health was getting worse. Uh, and then finally, I got diagnosed as suffering from social anxiety, found a support group that helped me with that. Uh, and the method they used this group was this well-known therapy method called cognitive behavioral therapy which teaches that your emotions are connected to your thoughts, uh, your, your, your habits of thinking and feeling, and you can change your thinking and thereby change your emotions. And I went off to interview the people who invented cognitive therapy. It's two American psychologists, um, Aaron Beck and Albert Ellis. I actually ended up doing the last ever interview with Albert Ellis before he died in 2007. I interviewed him on his deathbed. He was in a hospital in New York. Um, and I asked them both where they got the idea for this type of therapy, which is now the main form of psychotherapy. I mean, the dominant form, far more ubiquitous than any other, far, you know, completely replaced Freud and so on. Um, and they both told me that their inspiration was ancient Greek philosophy and particularly Stoicism. Uh, and even more particularly, a quote by a Stoic philosopher called Epictetus who lived in the first century AD in the time of Nero. And he'd said, humans are disturbed not by events, but by their opinion about events. So that quote basically kickstarted the whole cognitive revolution in, in psychotherapy. Instead of focusing on your childhood or your subconscious or your uh, primitive urges towards your mother, like Freud did, you focus on your thoughts and beliefs here and now and how you can change them. And then basically, um, in my 20s, I dived into ancient Greek philosophy, particularly Stoicism, but the other ones as well. Um, and I realized that um, Greek philosophy was, it was and is an incredibly practical toolkit, um, which can change your life. It's, it's, it's not just a theory. It's not just something you, you, know, you learn in a classroom. It's a practice. It's a way of life. Um, and it's designed to try and help you overcome um, emotional problems and achieve a state of kind of serenity. So Socrates, who's the father of Greek philosophy, said, I teach my students how to take care of their souls. That's where the word psychotherapy comes from. It means care of the soul. Um, and in philosophy for life, I was basically curious as to whether anyone else was still using these ideas today. 
was ancient philosophy just a, a, a history piece, something you studied, you know, if, if you're a classicist? Right. Or was anyone trying to be a Stoic or an Epicurean or a cynic or a skeptic today? Because well, I track down. Can I interrupt you there? One of the things. Yeah, I'm, sure. Was it uh, for you personally? Did you think you were just a victim of your circumstances at that point? And there was no hope. Like at that, when you were going through a, a lot of your mental health issues, you weren't thinking, "Oh, I could probably just change this with my mind if I thought differently." Right? Like that, it didn't feel that way. Um, I guess my greatest fear was that um, I had damaged my neurochemistry. Yeah, and therefore there was nothing I could do about it. And I had a, a bit of a stigma towards antidepressants. I was a very anti-determinist. I really didn't like that idea that we're just machines yep. and I damaged the machine. Now I think I'd be more relaxed about it. Now I, I don't see it in such black and white terms. But back then, that, that felt rather kind of depressing to me. So, But I was afraid it, it was out of my control. Um, in between, I should also mention something else, which is... Um, before I was helped by CBT and by Stoicism, I had a kind of near-death experience as well, which I write about right at the end of Philosophy for Life, um, which was basically a very bad skiing accident where I went off a cliff in Norway. And at the, mo at the moment of impact, after falling like 30 feet, I had one of those kind of, um, you know, white light encounters. Really? Wow. Yeah, which probably your listeners will, will, will think that we're about to go into kind of new age zone and, and giant <laughs> butterflies. Yeah. And honestly, you know, I, I, I wouldn't blame them. I'm just saying, I'm just saying what happened. I, I didn't, I didn't try to cash in on this with a big book, like, you know, right. I saw heaven or anything like that, or, or I, I, butterfly joy rides or whatever, like, but, it, but I mentioned it just simply because you're a Christian podcast and, and it was just a rather weird, incredible experience, which, I, which I'm still very grateful for and I still don't really understand. What, can you give us a little what happened? What, like, what did you it say? lasted about two minutes and I was um, immersed in a kind of white light and I felt filled with love and I felt that... Um, you know, there's something in us that can't be broken or destroyed. Wow. Um, and that was incredibly um, uh, healing for me, having suffered from post-traumatic stress. Because if you have PTSD, you feel broken. Yeah. Um, like your ego is broken. And so this was an experience of something beyond the ego, which was, in, what's the word, unbreakable. Um, and also just filled with kind of love as well. And, um, and I got this uh, very strong sense, uh, like download, that what was causing my problems was my beliefs and that I could just think differently. Wow. Uh, and then if I stopped worrying so much, my anxiety would dissipate. Um, and it lasted about a minute, this whole this thing. And then I, I was back in my body and I realized I'd been in an accident and I wiggled my toes just to check I hadn't been paralyzed. And I, I could wiggle my toes. So at that point, I knew, okay, I've, I've broken my leg. That's the worst that's happened. And the best that's happened is I've had this amazing experience. Um, that's, that's amazing because it, 
the reason why something like that rings true for me, as opposed to just spiritual hoo-hoo, would be, yeah. it would seem as if your brain and your body would immediately go into survival mode. You know, like, oh, wait, you, you know, you wouldn't go into, wait a minute, my thoughts are, are hurting me. You know, I, 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 had I a, agree. I had a spiritual experience one time, just to piggyback off what you're saying. I, yeah. in the, I'm not sure how familiar you are with like evangelicals talking about speaking in tongues. Yeah, I, I grew I grew up with that my whole life. Like, and and yeah. uh, my grandfather was a pastor, so around the age of ten or eleven, maybe I was nine to eleven, somewhere in there. Our church, you only they only considered you a Christian if you had evidence of speaking in tongues. Like that, that was like a spiritual gift, or you weren't really a Christian. So I faked it in front of my grandparents and my family because I was so worried. You were put in that situation. Right. And so I I mumbled out some nonsense words that that I'd practiced a little bit, you know, and I'd heard other people say. So, you know, and then uh, no one ever asked me about it again. I don't know if they knew, but it just like kind of happened. But so I always thought, well, this isn't real or this spiritual gift. If it is, it's not for me or whatever, you know? Yeah. And then, uh, I was jogging one day and I'm also a musician. Uh, we, we, you know, our band second album was coming out and um, I was jogging and all of a sudden this nonsense words came out of my mouth and I, and I, I did the opposite of you. I took it as, oh, God is speaking to me and our, our new record's going to be great and it is going to be massive success and all this stuff instead of what I felt like my brain was telling me that uh, forgiveness was important because with my family members, with some friends, forgiveness has been always a really tough issue for me because, you know, if you you screw me over or hurt me, it's really hard for me to actually even forgive you. Definitely not forgetting and even forgiveness. And I I went the opposite way and it was such a strange thing because I always thought of something like that. Like, like, like with your situation, you would think, Oh gosh, stay alive, crawl, call for help, all other stuff. And you went to the, the human inside of you in your mind. And I went the opposite way. I went to success. This must be what God, you know, because they, my evangelical uh, way I was taught was uh, God and success and, and uh, prosperity and all of that stuff. So it was, it yeah. was a different, well, but I, I had mean, something similar. Well, I mean, first of all, this this was com- this was completely. You, you, you said earlier, did you think you could think your way to happiness? So this was complete a complete experience of um, uh, grace. Insofar, it was not of my doing at all. So I feel I can take zero credit from it for it. Um, and you know, in a situation like that, in an extreme accident. You're, I mean, this was, yeah, there was no conscious decision thing. This was, this right. was, a, I got, I got lucky, but I, but I totally relate to that. I mean, I'm, you know, on a completely different thing. Um, five, four years ago, I went to do ayahuasca, the psychedelic oh, wow. kind of potion. And I, you know, and I remember coming out of this 10 day retreat, having had all these full on experiences thinking, right. I wonder what the universe has got in store for me. I'm, you know, my life's going to go so well now. Do you know what I mean? Because right. <laughs> you can really, you know, you can really attach ecstatic experiences to thinking they will just automatically translate into worldly success. Right. Just like, yeah. I mean, and the church teaches people that as well. I remember because I was, you know, I tried to be a Christian um, for a, for a, for a bit, and the church I went to was very much like that. It was like. 
God's got incredible plans for you. He's going to bless you so much. And I was like, great. Now I'm a Christian. Yeah. Let's see. You know, let's see I what kind of goodies. You, you sent it in. It's the HBT church, right? And one of the first. Yeah, HTB. Yeah. HTB. I'm sorry. One of the first tenets was ask God for huge things so that, you know, big things will happen to you. I was like, oh, that's really yeah. interesting. And then the next one was humility. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. those together, but. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and, um, and what I discovered is, is the spiritual life, it can be much more bewildering than that. It's not just like, it's not so obvious as like ecstatic experience, worldly blessings, you know. Right. Um, but anyway, so, um, so, so that experience happened. I didn't talk to anyone about it for years, that, that, that near death thing, but it really helped me. And for a few weeks, um, I was really high and felt totally uh, re- reconnected to my inner self and in love with the world and with other people. But then that high wore off and the old habits of anxiety came back. So that's when I knew that I needed some like CBT and that got me into stoicism. And, and then in my twenties, I really just wrote about Greek philosophy and stoicism, which is all about using your reason to heal yourself. And I wrote and I interviewed people like a stoic cop a you know a guy who discovered plutarch in prison an ex-mafioso um a a guy who you know whose parents were drug addicts and he'd used stoicism to kind of build his life back up so this is what i mean by philosophy for life and other dangerous situations it was showing that ancient philosophy can work in really tough life situations um but in a way it's a bit different you know it's a bit different to that near death thing. That near death thing was not self help. That near death thing was like something else help. Do you know what I mean? Like something beyond me. So, but this book philosophy for life was, I don't know. It was about using wisdom to try and help yourself and heal yourself. And and maybe wisdom is God given as well. I guess it is. Right. So. Yeah. Could we uh, just, just for people like me that don't know what stoicism is, or I've been like, I've been reading a little bit about it and wrote down some definitions. I just wanted to, Say some definition, yeah. then you, you you maybe could expand on that a little bit. But it says like stoicism is the endurance of pain or hardship without the display of feelings and without complaint. Um, no. That's that's not right. What? Yeah, that, that's, that's that seems a little bit tough to digest. That's the conventional understanding. Like stoicism with a small s does mean exactly what you said, but stoicism, um, like people think being stoic means not showing your emotion. Stoicism was an ancient Greek philosophy um, that first appeared in 300 BC in Athens. The word comes from the Stoa Poikile, which means a painted colonnade. This was a particular street in Athens where the Stoics taught uh, in the open air. Anyone who wanted to go and listen to the Stoics go, went to the Stoa Poikile, and there they'd be teaching. And um, it basically... Um, offered itself as a way of life and as a therapy for the emotions it said if you follow stoicism we will make you invulnerable to fortune uh you will no longer be the slave of fortune we will make you the master of your soul um it it was based on the idea of socrates who lived about a century or uh, before who said that virtue is sufficient for happiness in other words if you want to be truly happy Don't look to external things like status or wealth or power because they're in the realm of fortune. Um, What's the line in in the Gospels? Don't put your treasure where 
moths and, and rats can take right. them away. Um, same kind of idea. Uh, or like, you know, in Luke, don't build your house on sand. So it's the same kind of idea. Like, don't build your self-worth and your self-esteem and your happiness on um, transient external things. If you do that, if you say I'm only worthwhile if I have money or good looks or success, then you're making yourself the slave of fortune. Uh, every time fortune changes, like you know, every time someone reacts to you badly, your self-esteem will dive. So instead, you, you kind of um, you build your self-esteem on things like inner virtues, um, like, you know, courage, honesty, wisdom, trying to do the right thing. Um, the Stoics say that that should be your number one goal. Everything else, that, that, that's, your, your number one goal should be trying to be virtuous. Everything else, like, you know, money, even like family, all that stuff is, is kind of, um, is, is somewhat secondary because it's out of your control. Um, so they say focus on what is in your control, which is your thoughts and your beliefs. And external things, except they are to some extent beyond your control. Yeah. Uh, and if you do that and practice that every day, you will become uh, a kind of uh, invincible, invincible to fortune. Uh, so this this is the idea. Um, and so in, in, you know, you could say that what in some ways it's a philosophy for individuals. It arose at a certain time when the Greek city states were kind of getting conquered. And so the Stoics thought, how can you live a good life even when things are falling apart around you? So whereas other philosophies talk about the good society, like Plato and Aristotle, or mm -hmm. the kingdom of God, these are kind of collective ideas. The Stoic basically says, how can, an how can I flourish even if things are falling apart? And they have this idea of being true to, um, to this kind of spark of divine reason within you, which is called the Logos. So it was a religious philosophy. They think this, um, there's this thing called the Logos, which is like a pantheist divine intelligence, and it's in all things. And it's within humans, uh, it's our spark of reason. And when we live according to reason, we are honoring the divine part of us. Uh, and we do that by practicing philosophy and also accepting what happens to us because whatever happens to us is part of the divine plan. Yeah. So it's different to Christianity. Of course, there are big similarities and, and Stoicism really influenced Christianity. But Christianity has this sense that the world as it is, is not quite right. It's broken. And, you know, Jesus has started the work of fixing it and Jesus's followers are continuing the work of healing the world. And eventually the world will be healed. But right now it's kind of broken. And that's why Jesus weeps. Stoics think the world as it is right now is, 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 is fine. You know, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, so it's, 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 it's part of, you know, the, the divine logos. So that doesn't mean they're completely passive. They will still try to do what's right. They might die for their beliefs. And in the ancient world, Stoics did sometimes die for their beliefs because, you know, you might live in a tyranny. Uh, you might live in a bad era and it's in your power to, to, to try and follow virtue, but that might cost you your life. But for the Stoic, virtue is far more important than longevity. So right. Seneca, who was a famous Stoic, said, what matters is not how long your life is, but the quality of your life, the moral quality of it. So um, Stoicism emerged in Greece and then was picked up by the Romans, became very popular in the Roman Empire, um, 
particularly among the Roman elite. And the Stoic works we have that survive today are mainly by Romans, so like Marcus Aurelius, who was the emperor of Rome, Seneca, who was a very powerful politician in the time of Nero, uh, and Epictetus, who was a slave who was freed and became the great philosopher of freedom, of inner freedom, despite having been a slave, because he was like, he had a, uh, Epictetus had a, a sadist boss. He used to beat him up. And through that, Epictetus learned there was one bit of his life that his sadist boss could not uh, effect, which was his kind of inner attitude. So he learned how to be free, even in complete captivity. Um, yeah, I mean, then I could I could go on about like the history of Stoicism and how it influenced Christianity. But um, well, 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 I was going to ask you a question. What? Yeah. So uh, it seems like uh, another thing that I noted on here is that some of the cardinal virtues of Stoicism are like practical wisdom, which you talked about, courage, justice. Yeah virtue, temperance, temperance. Um, mm. I'm wondering with stoicism, um, because somewhere in one of your articles too, you were talking about how, um, there are negative things that we do with our emotions, but our emotions themselves are neither negative or positive, but I'm wondering mm. how does something like courage, uh, how, how is courage real or a, a virtue or value without the action? Like it, it can't be right. So is, are our actions tied to these as well? The same as, you know, wisdom. I mean, wisdom is only uh, so, uh, works with an action. I don't know how, how does it, when Stoicism yeah. doesn't work. Well, I, I think so. Yeah. It's not just about having wise thoughts or courageous thoughts, but I guess they recognize that sometimes you're, we're not, we don't have complete control over our choice of actions. For example, you might be in a prison cell, which means your actions are circumscribed. Mm -hmm. You might even be tied up, but you can still, you can still have control over your thoughts. Mm -hmm. But yes, of course, like it's, you know, it's no good, you know, having a, a courageous thought if you still run away. You know? right. <laughs> or, or yeah. So, so actions are important as well. Yeah. And then I guess the, the other thing would be, I think people like, for me, for example, growing up in the 80s in Greer, South Carolina, I promise you, I don't think I might have heard the word uh, Aristotle a couple of times. <laughs> like philosophy was not anything, you know, and it's right. dangerous in the church setting because the, the philosophy yeah. weren't, weren't ascribing Jesus as, you know, only Lord and Savior always. You know, I know there's a few, but I mean, it, it wasn't really yeah. like that. So it uh, it's interesting to me that like it, it feels like how do you. How can you be a stoic? How do you have time to do it? Do you, like with CBT or uh, stoicism, do you have to take every thought captive or is it something that starts um, happening more regularly? Like it's, in your own just, story? it's just a kind of daily practice. I honestly not sure it would be so different to, to Christianity in that respect. Um, stoicism uh, and other kind of Greek philosophies were a huge influence on Christianity. Um, Jesus is the Logos made flesh. So, it, you know, it took the Greek philosophy idea of the Logos and said that he is the Logos incarnated in a person. Um, early Christianity took the idea of, of training, uh, what's, what's called eschesis in Greek, and in, in, in that we translate that as asceticism. So that was a big thing in early Christianity. The, you know, the Christian monks, they would, they would train themselves uh, in what you could describe as Christian mindfulness. So you're trying to watch your thoughts. The risk is when you fall asleep and go into automatic thinking. Mm. Um, so you're trying to 
not just automatically react. Like uh, Epictetus says, when a strong uh, impulse occurs to you, so wait a moment, let me just think, let me just examine you for a second before I act on you. And there's, you know, so there's a there's the same kind of idea in Christianity um, of trying to stay awake. It's there in the parable of the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Right. Maintaining watchfulness so you don't go into just automatic sleepwalking. Um, but um, so for the for the medieval Christians, the Stoics were almost like unofficial saints. So Seneca was like an unofficial saint of the medieval church. Um, so now, unfortunately, in the evangelical church, there's a there's um there's a, a, a kind of real uh, historical ignorance of earlier stages of the church. But if yeah. you went back to the church in the Middle Ages or in the Renaissance or in the 17th or 18th or 19th century, they'd be much more familiar with, um, with Greek philosophy. Uh, likewise, people like William James was very into Stoicism, Emerson, um, some of the great Christian mystics like Teresa of Avila. She called St. John of the Cross, my little Seneca. Because he was uh, he was a Spanish, you know, like Seneca. So for them, Stoicism was part of the toolkit of being a Christian. Like when I was at HCB, I did a I did a talk about to my fellow Christians about kind of CBT and some of the things in Stoicism. But I use quotes from the Bible, particularly like Proverbs, right? Like uh, and some of these things because. Um, like, or like, you know, Ecclesiastes, right? You know, that I, I might be misquoting, but what was that like? To everything there is a season. Right. A time to die, a time to live. Well, that's a very stoic idea of, of just accepting change, accepting the transience of things, accepting the flow of things. Um, so, yeah. And, yeah, and I think that application is really helpful to people um, as well. Um, I don't... I don't want to keep jumping around here, but one of the things that you said that mm. really stuck out to me that uh, made me even think about my own life was you said uh, w- when you were having your panic attacks when you were in college, you said uh, that the pa- that panic attacks were crippling because you didn't know who you would be each day. And I just knew exactly what you meant. Now, I don't I believe I've had maybe a panic attack or two in my life, but I don't think I've ever been experiencing that much regularly like you were. But I have in my own thoughts, you know, or own health conditions or whatever, or, you know, my own. Uh, I have a little bit of body dysmorphia. Like, you know, I, I have had that same feeling of not knowing who I'll be today. Maybe a few core things that I like, uh, almost like uh, masking in a way that I go, well, I can lean on this, you know, my sense of humor, or I can lean on my intelligence this way, or I know I can get out of this. But I thought that was such an interesting uh, thought. And it, it made me feel like, and, and I don't know if you can expand on this a little bit, felt like you really didn't know who you were, like, and you were trying to find that person after the drug use. And you, and you attribute, you think all of this to doing drugs early like do you think a lot of that or caused your uh i think a lot of that but i think there's some genetic stuff too yeah should i shut this window is there sound okay because there's a car just revving its engine totally fine i I don't i don't hear it okay yeah um yeah no i I got i got some mental illness in my family um you know i i was also cultural it was the fact that i didn't talk to anyone about this for years because uh, I was too ashamed of it. So that's right. an English cultural thing. Stoic with a small S, like stoic in the bad sense of not showing pain or fear or mm-hmm. thinking that's weak. So, um, yeah. And uh, I mean, you, 
when when serious adversity happens to one, it can really knock you and you don't really know who you are anymore. Um, I've seen that happen with friends and loved ones as well. Like it changes you so fundamentally because so much of who we are depends on props. Right. You know, like we're used to people reacting to us a certain way. We're used to being a certain level of success. Um, and that stuff went and it went quickly. And it reminded me of um, Nebuchadnezzar getting, you know, I, ha- I still love a certain drawing of Nebuchadnezzar getting turned into a beast. Um, I mean, it wasn't as extreme like that, but that's an extreme example of how everything can be stripped away from you. Right. I was also very into Greek tragedy at that time because that was similar stories of people who just have their identities taken away from them by, by tragedy. I mean, not that what happened to me, I'm sure doesn't compare to some stuff that's happened to your listeners. Right. Um, but it, um, selves are funny things. They're, they're largely fabricated. Uh, and, 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 and they're, they're always a little bit of wobbly constructions. These are not, <laughs> these are not, these right. are not permanent, well-built, you know, solid mansions. These are r- rickety old sheds. And um, I think all through my 20s, I was desperately trying to patch up that shed. As I get older, I get a bit more relaxed and realize maybe it doesn't really matter if your shed's a bit battered and yeah. maybe it's not even about the goddamn shed. Right. You, know? <laughs> like, uh, you know, maybe there are bigger things in life than how good your shed is. Like, right. Well, I think um, that's one of the things that, that we're, we're not really taught is that you will be like... I, now that I'm 45, I go, wait a minute. When I was 15, I am not that guy anymore. God, that is not really me. And then yeah. not the 25-year-old either, and really not even the 35. That was only 10 years ago. But, I mean, those dudes uh, helped me get here. But I didn't, I don't, I'm learning that I don't have to hold on to some of the things that they held on to. But You know what I mean? And maybe hold on to some of the things that they learned, you know, as well. But that that's not necessarily me and my foundation, kind of like you were saying earlier. Sometimes we build our foundations on something like the sifting sand and think, oh, we can't let go of it. Just pull back the sand. You know, just keep, you know, work really hard to keep the sand around the foundation. But yeah. It doesn't work. Yeah. No, I mean, it's the question, who am I, is uh, is a kind of almost a bottomless question. Like in in in, in Christianity, there's this idea that, God knows you better than you know yourself, you know, and the, the kind of Matthew, the tax collector suddenly meets Jesus and he, and he's, or, or Paul and they're reborn. Right. And it's the person they're reborn, who they really are, right. who they'll be for eternity. Um, whilst I guess, you know, then in the idea in Hindu or in Buddhism is that actually there's nothing there, you know, you've got to accept, like stop trying to hold on to your rickety old shed, just, you know, accept the kind of, um, you know, the emptiness. Um, anyway, so it's a big old question. I don't fully know the answer to it. Yeah, I know. You're right. Uh, one of the things uh, you, uh, in your bio or whatever, it says uh, Jules Evans researcher. And I just love that and, because I've been thinking more and more for the longest time, people always thought, yeah, an adventurer or a traveler, you know, these words, but researcher uh, now in its truest mm-hmm. sense is, is maybe the, one of the most valuable things in the world because everybody it's, it's been butchered because everybody researching, let me go, they, you know, they're sitting in their pajamas with a big bowl of cereal researching something on Google, but it, what in the world are they looking at? You know, no, but, but like you almost seem like, uh, you know, sometimes it gets thrown around like with Tim Ferriss, I'm like a life hacker or something, but I really do feel like you uh, find things that 
you know, challenge you or fascinate you or you have questions about, and then you really do some research on them. And, and that's why I want you to go a little bit more. I have been really uh, interested lately in like LSD, microdosing, and then you were talking about ayahuasca. Uh, and I think you've done all of that. And I didn't know if you could talk about it, maybe even go into detail a little bit about your ayahuasca experience, because I always think that's, it's like, cause you, did you have like a leader or a shaman or like a group and, and what happened? And then maybe going to LSD after that. Um, yeah, so I did. I did a fair amount of this stuff when I was a teenager, and saw that it can be. Um, it's powerful and it can be dangerous because what you're doing is you. They dissolve people's habitual ego temporarily, um, but they can also expose someone's ego frailties, um, insecurities, and so on. And sometimes people find it difficult to go to to go back into their ordinary ego, uh, and to go back to their ordinary life. They feel their reality is a bit kind of you know askew or askance or whatever. Yeah. So um, so we used to be um, uh, a culture that was more at home with getting out of our heads with with ecstatic experience, whether that would be Pentecostal or Dionysian or whatever. But we're now a culture that puts so much emphasis on just being always an autonomous, effective ego. So it can be difficult for us to get out of our, our heads and go back. Um, anyway, so I, I, um, I had these mental health problems from psychedelics um, in my early 20s, and it took me years to get better from them. So why the hell would I do psychedelics again? Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the reason is I was... Um, I had got a lot better through ancient Greek philosophy, through Stoicism. I had been part of the revival of Stoicism in modern life. There's been a big revival of Stoicism. Uh, I organized the first kind of gathering of Stoics for 2,000 years back in 2010. Um, and then I was involved with something called modern Stoicism. We, we organized a Stoicon every year. I got a Stoic tattoo. I was going preach Stoicism literally in parks, in prisons, oh, that's awesome. um, all this kind of stuff. But um, but I felt the the lack. There was a lack in it, which was it was too rationalistic, and it was too individualist. There wasn't any genuine Stoic community. I wanted a. I felt lonely, and 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 I knew that I needed to heal at more of a. a heart level rather than just the rational level of my thoughts a kind of deeper level maybe like a subconscious level I was aware I was still you know well um I had what I think what you say were attachment issues so I couldn't really trust people I couldn't I, I resisted intimacy and in, uh, relationships and I wanted to get over that and stoicism teaches you not to be attached to anything or anyone so that wasn't going to help me learn to depend on others. I needed to learn how to be interdependent, how to depend on others. So at a certain point in my life, stoicism was no longer adaptive to me. Uh, I needed to go beyond it. Um, and so in my second book, The Art of Losing Control, I looked at, um, you know, if I'd done the first book on the Socratic, on Socrates and the rational ways to heal. The second book was about Dionysus, who's the Greek god of ecstasy, and ecstatic ways to heal. Um, so I asked the question, how do people find ecstatic experiences in modern culture? When are they good for you? When are they bad for you? And I explored 
all kinds of ways to, to find the ecstatic. By ecstatic, I mean uh, ecstasis, going beyond your ordinary self and feeling a connection to something greater than you. So that started with me, you know, becoming a Christian, which we'll talk about, we can talk about later, but, you know, for, for, for two years, I converted to Christianity, gave my soul to Jesus in an ecstatic Christian church, you know, like charismatic Christianity, really tried to do that. Um, but, um, you know, it didn't, didn't work for me. I had a very difficult time of it, of the high of conversion and then the disillusion having announced to everybody, all my stoic readers that I was a Christian and kind of, you know, and my publisher that I was a Christian and everyone and like, so that was awkward uh, and, 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 and bewildering and disillusioning and hard, but there you go. Um, and then, you know, I tried, I tried other things uh, and basically as part of that book, I researched what's called the psychedelic Renaissance which is in the last 15 years, there's been a renaissance in research into psychedelics. Uh, they were stopped for 40 years um, around the time when uh, of President Nixon and he declared the kind of war on drugs. Right. Um, they, they gradually restarted. And now there's, um, you know, 15 years ago, you couldn't mention psychedelics if you're an academic. Now you say you're into psychedelics, you get millions in, in funding. Um, there are new centers opening up at American universities, British universities, states in the U.S. are, are decriminalizing it. Next year, psychedelic therapy is being legalized in Oregon, probably will then be legalized in, in other states, maybe California, maybe New York. Hundreds of people are training to be psychedelic therapists. And the reason there's always, I mean, there's like been maybe $10, $10 billion in investment in the last three years like NASDAQ IPOs. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's really different from like 1980s where, you know, you maybe eat some mushrooms and go listen to the Grateful Dead or something like that. Right. And, like, uh, <laughs> and it was countercultural. Now right. it's, it's like, it's like hedge funds. And anyway, the reason for that is, is because there's this research, uh, which as some of your listeners will know, that shows like, one or two mushroom trips can be very helpful for helping chronic depression, helping addiction, reducing fear of death. Um, they've also found that it, it turns atheists or materialists into non-materialists <laughs> in general, because they start believing that consciousness is not just something restricted to the brain. Um, and um, all of this piqued my interest. And I thought maybe I could try guided psychedelic therapy as a way to heal at a deeper level because I was still, you know, I'd got a lot better. I no longer had panic attacks and all of that, but I was still uh, lonely and, and quite, and felt a bit cut off from others. So I, after I'd done the publicity for my book, because I, I didn't want to do it while writing the book in case I went crazy. And the kind of the Protestant <laughs> right. work ethic in me, I wanted to finish the book and publicize it and then go into the psychedelic retreat because I thought there was a, there's a definite risk. I would, you know, go crazy. Um, and so I then went to this um, retreat center in the Amazon jungle 
um, for 10 days and we did five ayahuasca retreats guided by shamans from the um, Shipibo Amazon tribe. Um, I'd never, I mean, you know, and this happens a lot these days, ayahuasca tourism. You can't think of anything more strange, Toby, like than this kind of cultural bungee jump into the world of, you know, uh, shamanic plant medicine and animism <laughs> from people going from like Denver and Houston <laughs> right. and London, yeah. and they don't do any preparation in terms of oh. animism and shamanism. And then they drink this incredibly powerful um, potion. And uh, it's incredibly beautiful, I have to say. Um, they, they are like uh, medicine men and women who use songs to try and call in the spirits of different plants um, to heal you. So they sit in front of you, they go around and they do like these songs called ikoros, which are like prayer songs. And, you know, one shaman will sit in front of you and sing a song to you, from, I don't know, I'm not quite sure, maybe three minutes, five minutes. And then they go and sit next to the next person. They're on ayahuasca as well. So they kind of assess you energetically and then think, oh, this person clearly needs some, um, some of this plant spirit. And then they'll sing a song, um, you know, absolutely extraordinary. So ayahuasca, um, How do you one way to ayahuasca, is it just, you, you drink a potion. Oh, wow. And then it takes about half an hour to come up, and then you come up very quickly. It's two plants. One contains um, DMT and uh, the shakruna plant, and then the ayahuasca vine contains harmine. And somehow or other, Amazonians discovered that if you mix these two plants together, it extends the effect of DMT in the shakruna plant beyond its usual 10 minutes, so it lasts for four hours. Whoa. Um, and... They think of it as a teacher uh, that shows you things to educate you, what you need to kind of see and learn and confront. Um, and so, were, so you, were you the highest you'd ever been for four hours? I mean, was it like that, or what was the highlight? Um, it it's happening? like it's like kind of it's very strong come up and a very strong peak, and then you know you come down from that, and then it's like, and then it's like learning for like maybe two hours or so. Like you're you're shown things which are useful to you, like it somehow or other, this opens up your subconscious, you could say, and it'll show aspects of your subconscious where there may be blocks, um, you know, uh, and it'll help you to process them. I'm speaking in Western terms here. Right. Uh, as far as I understand it. So um, to process them and to purge them. So there's an ancient Greek word, catharsis, which is like purging. Um, and it's like that. And so you're, you're, you will feel the kind of, you know, for example, I saw like um, my, uh, my, this, my grandfather who passed away a few years before and we had a kind of reconciliation. Really? Like you felt like or, you were really talking to him or was it in your uh, Who knows? Like, I mean, yeah, maybe. Who knows? I don't right. know. Um, it, was a, it was a real experience was, regardless. It was a real experience you had. I knew, that, I knew that it was a vision. I knew that he wasn't actually there. All the time, these experiences, I knew they were visions. And that I was sitting in the in the place. There was only one time where I completely I was too high and I forgot where I was really? and what I was doing. You were just a, you weren't that was scary. In the room. No, yeah. So I forgot even that I had a body. Oh so my that, god! Um, 
Were you? Yeah, like I'm, I'll be. Scared? What, what, what was that? Yeah, I was. I was filled with dread. Yeah, uh, and they say like, pay attention. Like you know, follow follow your breath. Like because you can just get overwhelmed, and then it, you've wasted the opportunity. Right. Uh, so you know, I mean, I, I, I'm not recommending it to anyone because it was it was full on, but it, it's it was fascinating, and I think it it did what what I wanted it to do, which I think it brought up trauma from when I was 18 and from that bad, bad trip I had, which had traumatized me when I was 18. And it helped me to process it from a place of greater maturity and to basically confront the thing in some ways I've been running from for 20 years. Oh, wow. Um, that sounds like it was like a monster that was always there and you had to finally like a day maybe yeah or it's just just a kind of just an experience or a level yeah yeah. um so that's i mean but but it's perfectly plausible that i'm also just like an idiot who should not have done psychedelics (laughs) again and i I was lucky to come away not in an ambulance so well that's a fair way to look at it i guess but i imagine my my relatives would 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 lean towards the latter (laughs) right but um yeah, so, you know, there's so many, it was so strange. I mean, there was, it's also connects you to the other people there. I mean, Christians will know this from their own like ecstatic experiences that sometimes in ecstatic experiences, you connect to other people in your community. Mm-hmm. I was struck when I, when I go to this charismatic church, HTB, people would say, I prayed and I got, I got a word for someone else in the, in the community. You know, so that right. so it's like a kind of ecstatic worldwide web kind of thing. Yeah. And same things happen on psychedelics. You get connected to um you know, to other people there. I mean, you know, oh, there was some strange stuff, but uh Did you, you know, feel have, like this like on this podcast we'd you'd have visions that would would where you'd each appear in each other's visions and things. Wow. Um, how, I mean, did, I had, how did it affect your like idea of this reality? A lot of people that that do you know LSD or ayahuasca or you know DMT, they they feel like uh oh, there's this other reality or uh, yeah. shadow world or or something that we can't. Did you go any th- that way? Yes. Well, I mean, I have to say it still wasn't as powerful as my near death experience. Wow. Because that was that was not drug induced, right? Uh, and um, that was far more remarkable in a way and it was far more beautiful. And so I'm sure that will be the most important experience of my life, I guess. Right. And trying to, and this was in a way, um, I have huge respect for it, but this was not my culture. Right. I, I am not from uh, a plant animist culture. There is also a dark side to Amazon shamanism. They, you know, um, there's a lot of uh, black magic, sorcery, you know, that kind of thing. So it's not all, I think there's a massive romanticization of indigenous cultures, mm-hmm. uh, which ignores their, their shadow side. And every culture has a shadow side. Um, but, um, but yes, it did. I, I suppose it did change me because it gave me um, a strong sense that we're... Um, we are deeply connected below our conscious ego. Right. Um, like telepathically, emotionally. Um, yeah. So, so, and I think we, 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 we hold on to our sense of our separate individual ego because we don't want to go crazy and that's perfectly reasonable. Um, but I think in some ways below our, 
our idea of our separate selves, we are connected in a way that if we were aware of it all the time, we'd lose our mind, I think. Yeah. I think that's I mean, you, you yeah. have to be, you have to be you either be a psychotic or you'd be a saint. Right. You know, to, to be yeah. able to, to, to kind of accept how connected we actually are. Um, I think it, it, we wouldn't, it would be difficult to function. I think that's a, your view on it and experience is helpful to me because I think you're right. It is very romanticized and it's even getting more romanticized now as people go, wait, you know, mm-hmm. uh, these drugs are, you know, the, uh, the mushroom is God's, you know, way of revealing itself more and more. Not to yeah. say that it isn't, but the idea that it's only positive and that you'll find the secrets of life. I like that you came back and looked at it as an ecstatic experience, but also back to the world of how do you, because you're right like that that excited the same way with me with like when I spoke in tongues or I felt you know there's times where I felt like I walked in a room and there was a almost an evil presence there I've, I've felt these things and I I've just always associated with is God or the devil and nothing and almost like I have no control over it or whatever as opposed to wait yeah. a minute maybe I am here and present maybe I am experienced maybe my body can even do some of these things and I can process it that doesn't mean I'll come to the answer but I like that that a drug like you said like in your accident that was 100% your body alone, you, your brain, and the moment, and you were there, and you, you know, yeah, and, and, the, and it led to, um, it led to much, much, uh, much more fruits, um, in terms of, in my own life, and in terms of my work, in terms of helping other people, so, um, but of course, the annoying thing about it is, it's hard to repeat, Right. Uh, psychedelics, <laughs> you know, you can you can get them and you can do them on Friday night. Right, like a near death experience. That's a that's a one problem. You know, touch wood. Um, right. So so I was curious about you know how can we create these experiences? But um, um what was I going to say? Um, I just um, yeah, I suppose. Well, first of all, you're right about th- there's almost a kind of psychedelic fundamentalism. Uh, on the rise, yeah. a snobbery about psychedelics. Like I read a book recently called The Immortality Key, a bestseller, all about the ancient Greek possible use of psychedelics. And the author suggests that psychedelics played a role in early Christianity as well. Mm-hmm. I'm not so convinced about the latter, but I'm more convinced about the former. But then the author says that basically psychedelics are the only way to God and that everything else is a placebo. Um, but how how arrogant! Yeah, I agree. Uh, right. You know, like that's just as bad as as any kind of you know Bible thumping fundamentalist, right? Um, so people can can go to all kinds of you know states of mind and 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 and, and connect with all kinds of um, spiritual forces in in thousands of ways. Psychedelics is just one. It's really not. Um, Essentially, in fact, people can get into psychedelic states of mind through breathing exercises. And, and, and above all, um, you know, I, I often come back to St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Um, you, you know, you may be able to speak in tongues and have all kinds of gifts of the spirit. But if you have not love, then you are just a, um, what is it? A, a clanging gong or something. Right. Uh, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, and that, I think... I mean, I'm still, I'm, I, my culture is like, I would say, like spirituality. I mean, I've got a Christian friend who says, how can you call that a culture? It's just a, an amorphous group of people milling around. But, um, but that is my culture. But I feel like spiritual, but not religious culture, um, 
really needs to uh, remember that, that, you know, it's not about how many fancy experiences you have. It's ultimately like, you know, um, are you becoming a kinder person? Are you serving other beings better? Right. And I fear, I fear that spirituality, and you tell me, maybe Christianity as well, becomes all about self-actualization, all about fancy experiences, and, and hardly anything into helping others, other yeah. beings. Uh, and I, and I, I suppose I include myself in that too. I would add to that too. It feels like Christianity has become a lot about uh, success, the end game, uh, prosperity, yeah. like those things that doesn't seem to ever line up with Jesus. It feels that way. Like in the, the Christian world that I grew up in, the goal was to win, go to heaven and be, you know, the other people there, there's a bad team and a good team. You better be on the good team and not us together or learn that somebody's that somebody on the bad team might have gone through something that you haven't gone through and understanding that why they are the way they are you know the the cognitive sure. behaviors that we have we never questioned those we didn't you know we didn't no. think about that it was always uh that's i know i got you here for a little bit if i we can just mm-hmm. hop into that i think this leads right really well into your article about spiritual bypassing which i had never heard of before and i just was like oh my gosh this sounds like so many uh it sounded like it sounds like me Still, even though I'm trying to pull some of this out of my brain and body, uh, it sounds like so many church folks and friends that I've lost that just the the Mm. way that is like almost. Can you explain a little bit of spiritual bypassing? I have it pulled up here, but. Yes, um, it was an idea introduced by a a kind of psychologist and spiritual teacher. Um, um, When basically people who are. Spiritual seekers um, are not real with themselves and others about what they're actually feeling. And they instead use spirituality as an escape mechanism to um, to just um, deny or avoid difficult feelings and experiences and immediately go to a kind of ersatz, slightly fake, happy place of very spiritualized language of self-transcendence or that kind of thing. But it, you know, it's not kind of real spirituality in the sense that it's actually trying to avoid reality uh, rather than kind of confronted and accepted and, and go deeply into it. Um, so there's a lot of that in, in the kind of spiritual land and in the article I wrote, I also talked about um, stoic bypassing. So you get lots of stoics who are like stoic from the neck up. Um, and they are, you know, they, they, they talk the talk of being totally rational, but they don't admit when they're feeling feelings or messy desires. And it's almost like splits off and, and, and another part of them goes and does that. I remember I um, helped organize a stoic conference in London and it was exhausting, it was you know to organize this this conference. Right. And I had a, a famous Stoic philosopher staying with me, and um, and um, and and they didn't come back. They were they went out on the town. They didn't come back till eleven till midnight. I was so tired from organizing this conference. I was like, <laughs> "Where are you?" Finally, he rocked up at midnight, completely drunk, with a woman he picked up in the pub. No. He was married, and he was a leading Stoic philosopher, and which is. Listen, You're just wanting to go tired. to sleep. Just let me go to I sleep. I was so tired. I was so tired. <laughs> I was like, God, oh, who, who is this? What are you doing? Um, and that's totally okay. I mean, like, I'm not having a go, but 
but it's to me it's an example of stoic bypassing like this guy is like he was stoic from the neck up right but it, but from the waist down, that he didn't, give, he didn't give a damn about stoicism. Right. And and then I and I think maybe there's Christian bypassing too, of people who um, did you ever see the Book of Mormon? Yes. Yeah. So you know that song, uh, turn it off like a light switch. Right. It goes click. You know. So like whenever you have difficult feelings, just turn them off. You know. Right. Uh, it's like Homer Simpson says. Whenever you have, you know, sadness, just bury it into a bowl and just right. bury it deep. Or even that those things are sin, right? Like like the, 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 right. those thoughts are what it might even be sin or the devil yeah. or the evil. Yeah, okay, yeah. Run away from it. So, yeah. so, um, so there's a balance because I was thinking about it this morning because, you know, in a way, all of spirituality and religion could be seen as bypassing. Yeah. In the sense that these are all practices to help us cope with with suffering and adversity. And you could say that the God as an idea is bypassing or meditation or breathing practices. So, I mean, I mean the, 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 there's, there's a balance here because all these spiritual practices are ways to try and kind of get a perspective on suffering and on adversity. But what you're trying to do is, I guess find a balance between um, transcending something or getting a perspective on it or being philosophical about it, but without just shutting it down. Um, So also feeling it and saying, okay, I'm really sad or I'm really angry or, you know, I'm really hurt. So that is what I'm really feeling, but not getting stuck in that. So do you see what I'm saying? That there's this delicate dance between um, gaining a perspective on something and somehow managing to transcend it, but at the same time being real about it and feeling it and being honest about what you're feeling. Right. So that's the that's the kind of delicate one-two that we we, we try to do. Yeah, I, I was reading a book um, by Trevor Moad talking about keeping yourself neutral and that things happen and you can't just run away from something bad. Like if something bad happens, a car accident, if you just, it, you know, you can't just go, Oh, it was just an accident. It's okay. And run, uh, you're escaping that way. Or you can't linger on it and go, I'm such an idiot. I got in a car accident. It's so bad. You know, I'm so stupid. You, you can't do either of those. It's, it's better to stay neutral, realize that something bad happened, but then at the same time, not run away from it with the positive side, which I think Christians get into too. Something bad happened. I, you know, I, I don't have enough money or, you know, my marriage is, bad or what the list goes on and on and i think we can escape to god and some of the 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 list here uh spiritual bypassing includes uh, exaggerated detachment emotional numbing and repression uh what was the one that was really standing out to me uh overly tolerant uh, compassion weak or too porous boundaries lopsided development and the cognitive intelligence of being far ahead of emotional or moral intelligence uh, debilitating judgment. Uh, I like this one. De- devaluation of the personal relative to the spiritual. Like it, it, the spiritual becomes way more than you. And that's what I've said before. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm bad. I'm nothing. Only God. And then, then now I'm looking back on it going, wait a minute, but I am something. No, I mean, sure. I have my faults and stuff, but I gotta, I can't just run away from me completely and say it's only yeah. sin or it's, you know, what, whatever that might be. I have to be here with Toby processing these things as opposed to, okay, God, heal me. You know what I mean? Oh, I sinned again. Yeah. Take that away. That's the way I used to be was, oh God, I sinned. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Not, why am I doing that? <laughs> why did I have that thought? You know, I, I never could be present with whatever I was calling sin at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, 
I'm writing a book about Aldous Huxley, British writer, and he says the, he, 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 um, he and his wife would, would sometimes take LSD and they would record it. And in one of his LSD trips, he says, the, the challenge is to both be yourself and someone com- completely else. Like you're both like Jules or Toby, but you're also like this soul as well, which is kind of limitless. At least that's my mm-hmm. um, belief. Um, and so you're trying to be true to both. Like, don't don't just ignore Jules, but at the same time, I'm not just Jules. I, I believe uh, that there's something more than Jules w- within me. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that it, it's taken forever to pull some of that out of me, but it, here's what's really frustrating about it. The religion I grew up in, uh, it was trying to do the right thing. You're right, they were trying to find truth or God or connect the spiritual to their life, but then it became about rules or processes or teams or this is bad, this is good, as opposed to looking at it in a balanced way. So it, you're right. Like uh, the church I grew up in was very, you know, they call it charismaniac because it was always about <laughs> the, those experiences. You were talking ecstatic experiences. Every Sunday I would go, there would be people yeah. that would fall fall out. They called it slain in the spirit. They'd pass out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Thugs, I've been, I've been to this yeah, church. Yeah, running around on top but of the I mean, drama, right? What massive drama. Oh, I know. Uh, and and it's 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 very exciting because that church is the center of the universe. Right. Like they're always having like God's promise big things and like oh, this year is going to be a year full of blessings and and you know Jessica and Row 3's just had a big vision and there's incredible healing happening but also there's Satan there and just down the road there's a there's someone who's doing palm reading. So, you know, the right. devil's, I mean, talk about drama. I mean, it's yes. like, makes like telenovelas look kind of boring, right. you know. <laughs> right. So, and, 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 you know, you are a cosmic warrior of Christ and right. you're, you're surrounded by demons. I mean, how it, it's, it's, it's very exciting. Yeah, you're right. It, it, and I think they need that to escape the, what they think is maybe, <laughs> That maybe like I feel like this with my own family. They grew up in the South in the you know fifties, sixties, and they felt. I think they feel like their life might not be important because they just ended up working regular jobs or and they avoided everything. You know, for the most part, Uh, they were the the lowercase stoic, like you said. Just Mm. don't show your pain. Don't don't talk about it or whatever. Just keep pushing. You know, this is our life. And so they never took time to really think about it. Like like I said, philosophy wasn't even a thought in their head. That was all foo foo. Yeah. But I think now uh, we're kind of maybe hopefully coming out of that a little bit. I, I know now I can actually talk to my dad more about his thoughts than I ever have before, just because he's. But you know, paid. but I, I do think that that is a beautiful thing uh, if you can um, help people to believe that they matter mm-hmm. and that their lives have value, uh, and 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 that there are there is you know something incredibly powerful and good and loving that's on their side and is there with them in the, in the hard moments of life. And, you know, Greek philosophy has, has, has its limits, you know, it was often, yeah, it was, it was just for the elite often, you know, uh, like Plato would only teach kind of rich male students. Right. Um, it was only for the educator, only for the intelligence. So, uh, and it didn't have much of an emphasis on compassion didn't have much of an emphasis on reaching out to the to the broken and the outcasts. Um, so um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a big fan of William James, and he talks about living life as if it mattered to the universe. Mm-hmm. 
what you did. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's a challenge these days, you know, because when as people lose the idea of God, they can lose the idea that their life matters at all. So um, I, I actually, uh, you know, I, I wonder how we can get that, to give that kind of people a sense that their lives matter and that God cares about them. But, um, you know, without some of the toxic stuff. Right. Um, I think it's, it's tricky. What I, what I find that, what, you know, where I feel, feel that charismatic Christianity can make life, people's lives harder is it, it makes such strong promises. Like if you pray to God, you know, and you get some kind of sign or something, God will do this for you. Like God will definitely heal you or God will definitely help you to find a husband. Right. And then, and then like life is strange and like sometimes you don't get what you want. And then people are left going, I don't quite know why God has done this, but you know, cause it, it makes, I just think that's, that's why I'm more of a kind of like, um, I'm an agnostic theist in that I think it's pretty hard. I believe in God, but it's pretty hard to know exactly, exactly what uh, his or her or its intentions are. Yeah. But I think in Christianity, partly because of Jesus's teachings, Jesus says like, God is your father. If you ask him for this, he will give you it. Um, you know what I mean? It just, yeah. I think that, yeah. that, that sets people up for a, for a lot of, um, well, it's, yes, a lot of hope, but also I imagine a lot of confusion as to, well, why haven't I met someone? Why didn't my marriage work or that kind of thing? Right. Um, and I think you're, but if you're an agnostic, you can just go, you know, who knows, right? right. And I think, it, I think people need titles. I don't think God needs the title as much as we need it, but it sets people up to think that God is like, he picks and chooses. Well, this person has more, uh, you know, success or finances or a better marriage than me. Why can't I, as opposed to, mm. or, or even like with healing, uh, we got into a big debate, you know, f- several years ago. Now, uh, one of the hosts of this podcast used to be a host of this podcast, uh, works at a church and there was a big healing and I couldn't take it at face value, even though he was seeing the healings and I could understand. I couldn't, I still couldn't. You mean like multiple healings? Yeah. Like uh, something's wrong with somebody's foot and it's healed and they can walk or, you know, like right there. This was like a revival kind of moment. Kind of. Yeah. They wanted to, that somebody felt led that there should be some healings and they started happening. And so there, there was an outbreak of healings. So, you know, Uh according to them, but then of course, never the one where like somebody's arm grows back or anything like that. It's always, they could be healed, you know? Um, Yeah. I don't want to take away the spiritual side of it. And I, I actually can go where I believe in healings, but then, and I immediately am like, well, it doesn't, isn't there way more people that could use some healing? So why, why were there only some? And, and then you get into the real uh, bad spot of you didn't have enough faith or, you know, if you had more faith, yeah. God would heal you or, yeah. or he sure. wants you to, he wants you to have your thorn or something, you know, but why am yeah. I, you know, why, why, you know, why couldn't you just heal my marriage or something, you know, I'm, I'm miserable yeah. or whatever. And so I think yeah. that picking and choosing gets, re- it, it makes people kind of get a, a, crisis of faith because they go wait a minute i'm believing in you i I agree i I think it's it's a very strong belief to hold and to defend an all-loving omnipotent god who can intervene at any moment and 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 will if they are if you ask them to i just think that's a i tried to hold that belief but um you know i couldn't yeah um yeah um so that was one reason why I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I felt like I, I, I couldn't, you know, in order to be a Christian. And the other was just, um, you know, the question of, 
I don't know, do what do other religions go to heaven? Right. And if not, that's pretty mean. And like the idea of Jesus is the only son of God and the only way to God, which does seem to be what he says in the gospels. So that kind of right. That old stumbling block. Um, I can really believe, but I, but I find like, you know, I, 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 I still feel like I, I, um, you know, I, I need to make some kind of accommodation with Christianity. If that doesn't sound ridiculous, like, and I think that a lot of people in spiritual culture do like, Look, you know, like the number of people who um, affiliated with Christianity in the States has dropped a lot mm-hmm. in the last 20 years. And more, you know, whilst there's been a lot of people who've become spiritual, but not religious. And the UK went through this kind of, you know, after the 60s as well. But I, I think, I just think that um, there are things, even if one has become like spiritual, but not religious, there, you know, you can end up treating Christianity like the X. Like, I do not want to hear anything about that. Like, you know, that's like people say that people in spirituality, like ABC, anything but Christian. Yeah. Like uh, Amazon shamanism. Absolutely. That sounds great to me. But <laughs> do not mention anything to Christianity. Doesn't matter what, you know, like, right. uh, uh, you know, uh, tantric, left-handed black magic. <laughs> sure. But Christianity, forget it. Right. Um, and, uh, but there are things I think that one can only find in Christianity in a way. I mean, or at least, you know, like the emphasis on humility. In spirituality, it's all about you are a God. Yeah. And the only kind of Jesus they're into is like Gnostic Jesus. Like you can be like Jesus too. In fact, you are like Jesus instantly. Right. Um, and what spirituality desperately needs is Christian humility. Like, yes, you are potentially a God and, and your soul is divine, but you are far from a God right now. Right. So, you know, you're, you're, you know, like the Christian emphasis on like, you're, you're, you're kind of a mess. I mean, that's okay. But in Greek philosophy and in spirituality, it's all about the perfectibility of the self. Yeah. And that leads to narcissism and, and people um, with hugely inflated expectations of themselves and of their teachers. Mm, yeah. Jules, this has been great, man. I just, I, gosh, I, I'd love to have you back. You said you're, what are you working on now? Another book or what um, else are you yeah, doing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm working on a book about um, Aldous Huxley, who was a British writer who moved to California and helped to invent kind of, you know, modern spirituality. Yeah. He wrote The Doors of Perception, early, early kind of try of psychedelics. He helped introduce yoga and meditation to the West. Yeah, I'm I was writing about he was satanic and of the devil is what I always heard about Otis Huxley. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he and his brother are really, they're, they're really unpopular with kind of uh, the Christian right. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I mean, he was flawed, but he wasn't satanic. He was just imperfect. <laughs> so it's a, it's a kind of book about him and my kind of, I guess, regard for him, but also my sense of his his flaws and, and about yeah. spirituality and, and, and its um, good sides and bad sides. Well, that's awesome. When you get it done, and we'd love to have you back and talk about it. That'd be, that'd be phenomenal. I, I, that'd be great, Toby. Yeah, I, we could talk a lot more, but let's save it for next time. Yeah, that, uh, I, I tell you, I love the way you write. I love your humor, your wit, your insight. Like I said, I really feel like you're a researcher, which it feels more than an adventurer or, or an experimenter. <laughs> it feels like you're really 
uh, really researching what is true and what is real and what isn't within your own life and within the world. So I appreciate it. People can find you at uh, philosophyforlife.org. Your book is The Philosophy uh, for Life and Other Dangerous Situations. And uh, your other book is The Art of Losing Control. Y'all go find that. It, it, anywhere you want to send people to find you other than that or buy your books? Uh, no, that's it. I mean, I'm on Twitter, uh, Instagram. Um, my, I have a weekly newsletter, which you can find either on my website or on Medium. Awesome. This is great. I really appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, Toby. Mm-hmm.